0: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Week in Horror After Dark Front Row. Yes, this is the, uh, the special where we sit down and talk with uh, professionals that work in the industry and get their take on not only the industry itself, but the genre we all love so much, the horror genre and the work they've done in it. And today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Russell Coker. Mm-hmm. How you doing, sir?
1: Great. Awesome. It's been, it feels like, almost a year since the last time we chatted uh are you are you doing the face of horror contest this year are you
0: not this yeah. year no, okay. yeah not yeah. I had the 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 experience last year was okay. fun and I know mm-hmm. that both I know we both made the semis didn't we yeah
1: yeah well I guess we could let the people know how we we started out as as uh adversaries and here we are as <laughs> friends um yeah it was um I remember i kind of learned my lesson i i don't quite have the the millions of followers that you know you and the winners obviously have but um (laughs) so we started out we we basically met through faces of horror i just remember seeing it randomly on instagram i'm like oh that looks cool uh not realizing that everyone on the internet and Beyond also thought the same thing. It was like, oh, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Um, initially, my my plan was like, oh, I'll just like outwork everyone. So I basically ended up just manually spamming everyone I know on Facebook and Instagram. Yes. For like basically two months. And then I think we got through, I got through, what was it? Maybe round four. I don't remember how many rounds there were. But then I basically got to the point where, like, it wasn't enough to just be able to manu- manually spam people. And right. then because then I, I saw you were on, we were in the same group. And I'm like, who the who's this guy? And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. And then you had, like, three podcasts and everything. I'm like, oh, shit. And so I was just, like, trying and then. I jumped on and tried to troll you that one last uh Yes, time. yes. Vote you know, for you... him, vote for me. And you won, that's fair. And then um, who was it? Because I remember there was like some nurse. It was like the three of us. And at one point she was in the lead. I'm like, oh man, how? who is this person who doesn't have any, it was just someone who liked horror, but didn't have any like IMDb credits or any podcasts or anything. I'm right. like, what and then you pulled out ahead at the last minute it was just like neck and neck i'm just like me and then her and she was up for a while and then you came out at the end and i'm like all right well at least you know the guy who's doing this for a living is you know be in the <laughs> lead. and then i think after you uh some tiktok guy was in the lead for a while and then That's after right, that, yeah. I, I remember someone who did like um uh, like horror cabaret or something ended up winning, but I still don't know. I haven't heard any release about the actual movie. So I'm, I'm a little bit like, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see someday, but I, I, I don't know what the name of the movie is called or have you heard anything about like what ended up happening?
0: Yeah. So, um, cause I followed up a little bit and i I'm a big fan of room org. So, I was, I was yeah. wondering, it was like, okay, now that it's all over and done with, and I know that, mm-hmm. and the girl, and I actually like spoke briefly with the girl who actually mm-hmm. won before they did the final once, once we were knocked out. Yeah. Cause I think uh, we were in the same round, then you got knocked out. And then I got na- knocked out of the next round. And there was uh the two that were like up there in the lead, the big ones were, you mentioned the TikTok guy. He's actually mm-hmm. a, this guy, I think he's in Georgia and he's a firefighter. And he's also mm-hmm. like a musician. And he's like a goth musician. And mm-hmm. so he had that going for him. And then uh, he's also like ex-military. He's got a big following there. Yeah. And then you had this the the girl who was the cabaret star. And like mm-hmm. how, she does like cabaret and burlesque, like horror-themed cabaret yeah. and burlesque. And so she wound up taking it. Now, mm-hmm. um, from what I understand, that once the Face of Horror contest concluded and she had won, now her photo spread did release in Rue Morgue. So I, mm-hmm. I have seen that, like her and Kane Hodder together. So yeah. I have seen that photo spread and they did it up, up in Philadelphia at the Buffalo Bill House. And... Um, as far as I know, she got all the prize that they were that they were talking about. But the dude who's in charge of the film, so like, like you remember how you could donate, right? Like people could yeah. donate and they get like double votes stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All that money, twenty five percent of that money went to the B plus Foundation.
2: Mm-hmm. So all
0: the money they raised, the, the B plus Foundation got a quarter, and then they kept seventy five percent of it to cover their administration costs, mm-hmm. all the you know like the the website and all the things they had to pay in the Buffalo yep. Bill House. And it went into the coffers of the production company in order to make their next film. But mm-hmm. from what I've heard now, I can't confirm this hundred percent was that the strike occurred and oh, yeah. because those rumblings happened and it was kind of like, ah, uh, and then all of a sudden financing was once they, once there was rumblings of a strike mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden um, people started like kind of like not wanting to finance. Cause if, if you put money into a project and all of a sudden the strike happens, oh, what yeah. are you going to do? So yeah. then people started getting a little more finicky with their money and then all of a sudden the strike took place. And so that's been kind of like put on hold. So uh, I don't know. Now, I know they're doing it again. And I didn't sign up this year to do mm-hmm. it. A lot of people are asking me, are you doing it again? I was like, I'm mm-hmm. not. And from what I understand, they're they're hoping to use this money in order to either finish like that one and from a non-union perspective mm-hmm. or set up for this for the next film that they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, but I do know they. Ha- I I'm pretty certain that they haven't shot it yet. So,
1: mm-hmm. okay, interesting. Yeah, because I, I I've been seeing the ads recently, and I think it just said like photo spread. I, I didn't say anything about star in a movie or anything. So it seems like I was just like, oh, I wonder what's going on there.
0: So yeah, they offered yeah. a like one of the prizes was like a walk on role in mm-hmm. uh in in the the, the guy um uh, what was his name Jose? He was doing all the mm-hmm. the. The videos that the other, yeah. Uh Yeah. So it was, it's his production company and it was going to be the winner of Face of War would get a walk on role in his next feature. But Mm. as far as I know, they haven't shot it yet. So, but they did do the photo spread, um, at Mm. Roomark this time. I believe this year they're doing it at, uh, they're doing it up at the Amityville house in New Mm. York. So I think they're doing that there. So, but yeah, it it was cool the first time and I was intrigued, Mm. but it just got me because it it wound up being, you know, pay, you know, pay to win, which is, you know, but at least the charity, at least the charity got something out of it.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like a a little bit more like, um, just a really complicated, like GoFundMe kind of, or like, uh, um, what's the other one? Like, um, not crowdsource, uh, I'm trying to think the, the ones they, they do all the movie ones. There is, um, there's a couple that it, it uh, my mind's blanking right now. But they have like different uh, like donate X amount, and you get this perk. And so it's just like Oh, like like,
0: of, like like Kickstarter Indiegogo. Yeah, like Kickstarter
1: yeah. Indiegogo, yeah. yeah. Where it's just like except for they only basically had one perk. It's like, All right, everyone, <laughs> come on, you want this one, you can make it. So yeah. So, yeah, for me, it I would usually get on there for like an hour or two every day and then just like, I'm like, let me figure out how to automate this. And then by the end, it was like kind of too late because I'm like, all right, my reach isn't quite that big. So, you know, but hey, it was a fun experience. And also the benefit of that, even though I didn't win, is like literally everyone I know knows what I'm all about and what I'm out here doing too. So it was like benefits are like, oh shit, yeah, he's actually going for it. So that the, networking, was a, the
0: networking was great yeah you know? I mean yeah. we met I met a number mm-hmm. of other people I actually got in, uh, got in touch with their production company and i ma- I made some contacts mm-hmm. and yeah. as far as this industry goes, that's the key is like because mm-hmm. it is who you know
2: yeah, yeah so
0: so, so you, you just you uh okay so look looking at your history in the industry and how you came mm-hmm. up in it so first and foremost kind of want to like dive into that because I am really curious as to what. What kind of like when you saw Face of Horror was it mm-hmm. initially? Uh, did you just like like oh, okay, awesome? I think this is something interesting, something fun to do. Mm-hmm. Or do you do you have? I mean, is that love uh, that background in in horror in horror films? Mm-hmm. Is that what kind of drove you to that, or was it just uh, an opportunity?
1: Um, for me, I like I like horror movies and stuff like that. I'd say um, I'm not the most. Uh, I'm I don't like live and breathe I, I i'm not the most diehard guy like for instance well let me ask you <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this and what i mean by that is like i enjoy horror movies but mm-hmm. some people are very like like let me ask you this what did you think of the last halloween movie
0: halloween kills halloween ends oh halloween i'm oh, sorry halloween ends so yeah. um do, do you have an hour no but uh yes. okay so okay so on my pod, on, here on Weekend Horror, uh, my yeah. co-host Johnny and I, Johnny uh, O and I, we diverged. We we diverged definitely on this. Uh, but my take on Halloween ends was that David Gordon Green uh, mm-hmm. was attempting to do what Rob Zombie did in mm-hmm. his, in his Halloween two. Yeah. The problem was that Rob Zombie's style is a little too is a little too frenetic, a little too a little too hell Billy Deluxe, uh, you know, to give it that kind of speed. And he but the, but what he was trying to convey was essentially the generational uh, how generational trauma is passed on from person to person and how mm-hmm. violence is bi- violence and trauma acts like an infection that yeah. the actions of one infect the next and then informs their actions so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And it was like the the idea that the evil of Michael Myers spreads like a plague. Now that's what Zombie tried to convey, but he did it in a really weird artistic way with the white mm-hmm. horse and, you know, Laurie's like yeah. connection to Michael. I think David Gordon Green approached it in a, in a much more intellectual way and tried to convey mm-hmm. it like from an intellectual and psychological uh, method. But that is an extremely hard thing to try and convey mm-hmm. to an audience. That would be better in book form. In book yeah. form that would play really, really well, but visually that's hard to convey mm-hmm. an internal experience Especially when your your titular, you know, the, the main antagonist mm-hmm. is wearing a mask. Yeah. So to to see how that can be, how that that transfers not only to Laurie but to also to uh, the other characters, uh, you know, Laurie's granddaughter, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I think he did it better than Zombie, but mm-hmm. ultimately did not hit the target. He got closer, but not quite. And that's yeah. why the film dipped the way it did. It it was mm-hmm. the same. It was the same Halloween two from Zombie's effect. Is mm-hmm. that? But people are like. People are like, what the shit is this? Whereas this uh, one's like, oh, I see what he's doing, but nah, uh, still doesn't hit right. Yeah. That's my take.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think um like I I thoroughly enjoyed it, but what I because I like when people take a risk and do something different because yes. one of the things I saw with like tons of people got mad, like, oh, well, it was centering too much on this other guy and it wasn't enough about And I was like, well, that's kind of cool when they're like, instead of just having the same villain come back over and over again and then nothing really changes, like they actually try to make it so this can kind of continue in a way. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Introducing new characters in a franchise to make it different. But I I mostly got like uh, on the online, I'm, I'm in a few different horror groups. People are like, oh, no, that's stupid. It wasn't even about the (laughs) main. It's like, do you really want the same movie repackaged over and over again? And so, like, when I say casual horror enjoyer, what I mean is, like, I like horror, but I appreciate when people take risks and try to do something different as opposed to just same movie over and over again, you know? And it's funny because it seemed like the people who hated that one liked halloween kills more and in my opinion that was one of the like worst installments
2: <laughs> there was like at the end
1: i counted like it was just getting ridiculous where they they um they like shot and hit michael myers like what was it i i think it was like 16 or 20 times they shot him stabbed him hit him with the two by four like hit him with an iron and then he just got up and started doing kung fu. It was like that <laughs> one, what was it, Jason X or something where Bus arrives does like Kung Fu and it was just like, What what are we even watching here at a certain point? It's just like, is this a Marvel movie that where where this guy basically is invincible? And that was sort of like the thing where I think these these movies can get a little bit stale. It's like, no. all right, I guess it's just They're fighting God, okay? He can't die. He's immortal. Maybe he was born in some industrial waste, which gave him, like, superpowers. Because there's a little bit, and that's why I appreciate, like, the Rob Zombie version. He's, like, a seven-foot-tall maniac. It's like, okay, I can see how this guy is invincible. He can probably deadlift, like, 600 pounds naturally. Like, I get it. I I see what he was doing there. He's, like, making that sort of realism, adding the realism to it. Mm -hmm. Because like the original, it's like, okay, it's just, you know, some guy. It was like kind of grounded in reality. But these things have a, it's enjoyable to a certain degree where it's like, okay, this is getting a little bit more and more like crazy. But I feel like the difference with um, the Halloween franchise versus say, I don't know, like Hellraiser or Child's Play Like with those franchises, the more ridiculous it got, the more comedic it got, even with like Evil Dead until they did the remakes. It's just like, oh, it starts out more serious. And then you have Army of Darkness where it's still it's a great movie, but they add in
0: that kind of they they had that tendency to swing into camp in yeah, order to try yeah. and, and try, try to liven it up a little bit, because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the kids, it, like, uh, obviously, the, I, I would say the first, like, the first Child's Play, the, you know, the Child's yeah. Play franchise is fantastic, because it starts mm-hmm. off in that really, really dark place,
2: mm-hmm. and there's
0: no levity whatsoever, yeah. and even though, even even the attempts at levity are, like, really embedded in, in like, a dark mm-hmm. place, but then once you get past three, and you get into, like, Bride of Chucky, and Seed yeah. of Chucky, and 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 even then the camp just plays into it. So mm-hmm. the Child's Play franchise went there. The Leprechaun franchise went there. Um, eventually they all they eventually go camp. They add in a campy yeah. element to kind of alleviate this this you know the because you don't want to like you know deadline just like one one note. Mm-hmm. You don't want your franchise to be one note. And yeah. I and I agree with you that taking risks is. Mm-hmm is you know paramount you have to be willing to to try and go in a new direction otherwise we are just telling the same story over and over and over again that's why i that's why i liked halloween kills and halloween Mm -hmm. ends because i saw where green was i saw where green and danny mcbride were Mm -hmm. going with that where jason blum where they i saw their vision and -hmm. where they wanted to go and they were willing to put it on the line they started off with the absolutely brilliant uh halloween in 2018 and then followed up with halloween kills which i thought Mm-hmm. played like was a good homage to the original one but they took it in an interesting direction and then they followed it up with trying to do what zombie did mm-hmm. i actually i dig parts of halloween 2 like zombies mm-hmm. version because I, yeah. I like i like rob zombies director you mm-hmm. know i do um, yeah yeah i'll forgive him for the monsters and i'll mm-hmm. forgive him for three from hell i will do that because three mm-hmm. from hell was just devil's rejects remade uh, but yeah. uh but uh but yeah um i was always curious because you know, looking at the work that you've done and how mm-hmm. you're coming up in the industry. Um, horror itself, you know, do you see yourself going forward, like, you know, really diving into that? Because mm-hmm. you've got, in my eyes, you've got the build, you've got the look, you've got mm-hmm. the intensity that you could go the the Kane Hodder route, the Derek Mears mm-hmm. route, the, uh, the Ken Kersinger route, where you could be one of those, you know, the I, I'd say the monster, you know, mm-hmm. where you can portray those. Is that you see yourself going in that direction or more in a uh, more and more, uh, uh, I would say, vocal directing, you know, Mm. standard acting?
1: Um, I'd say I I suppose in the ideal world, both. I have worked on a few projects um, lately. Uh, So there's Gary Shore shot, or they just released the Queen Mary, Haunting of Queen Mary I'm actually in that. I play a Nazi ghost. So
2: nice.
1: might just be a jump scare, but see if you can uh, uh, see me in that. So I, I haven't watched it yet. It's on my list of uh, things to watch. Um, I just did a horror short called Disturbance. It's probably going to hit the festival circuit where I play just a demon. There's a demon hunter. So I'm all just blackened and I, I wear contacts and stuff. And then um, I tomorrow I'm finishing up a shoot. It's called Tip, where I play um, a group of friends in this uh, restaurant, and then people start dying. So where it's kind of like a, a murder mystery. It's like a who done it type of deal. So yeah, I definitely like playing both sides. I, I definitely kind of enjoy the creature work because you do have to break it down in a way where like even if you're playing a monster it's like well who is this monster kind of how do they move like when i in this movie where i played a demon i started to think like okay like you you never really want to go generic like oh it's just a demon from hell it's like well what circle of hell does this demon live in how do they move like what was their environment before they got summoned so i was thinking okay, this demon is completely black. So I just imagine like this demon is probably lives in hell and is stuck in a pile of bodies and basically almost just swims through bodies as it's tortured and being tortured. So I kind of like try to implement that into how I moved kind of just like slithery, kind of like a snake. So there, there's interesting ways you can break down characters even if you don't vocalize or necessarily right. have like, dialogue there's still a lot you can do physically in order to like bring characters to life and stuff like that so i'm definitely i'm definitely into that um one of the things i found out when i did i did this ad for the metropolis uh department of water and power they were doing like these um uh and maybe i'll I'll send you a link so you can you can post this if if you want to have it in the stream but Um, this was, uh, I got this part before COVID, it was like 2019 and then COVID happened and I didn't hear anything from the production company because they were basically doing like a comedic run of like, Hey, conserve water basically. And so (laughs) like two years later, they're like, Hey, remember that thing you auditioned for? You want to come do it? I'm like, yeah. And, um, what I found out was because it was basically a full bodysuit. Uh, they were like, yeah, a lot of people have claustrophobia and they don't know that until they have this full like face. Cause it wasn't just like this. It was like a full hood and then a full bodysuit. And they're like, yeah, some people have claustrophobia and they don't know until they have the suit on that they can't take it. So it's kind of a big risk for production companies and right. to, have people who don't know that they can wear the suits and stuff so that was a big deal for me i'm like okay i know for a fact i never thought i was but this is proof that i can wear like the full body suits and everything i'm I'm fine so uh that was cool was uh jennifer aspinel she did makeup for that one she's been in the the game for a while and then um yeah it was cool um, I guess maybe I'll I talk a little bit more about acting in general because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are just like, how do I get in? What do I do? How do I, because <laughs> there's a lot of, there's kind of a lot of information out there. It yeah. seems a little bit nebulous and it really is, to be honest, it's really uh, a lot of it is like training and then just always like being out there, putting yourself out there, finding gigs and stuff like that. So uh, basically for me, I went to film school. I came out to LA to go to film school before that I was in San Francisco. I never took my G or sorry, my SATs. So I was just like, okay, I got to do the community college for a year, um, a couple years. But, uh, before that I was in the military. So after I got out of the military, I'm like, I want to do something the opposite of what I was doing. Uh, so I was on the GI Bill. I went to school and, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I remember back in high school, I took some video production class. I'm like, oh, I'll go to school for film. Um, so then eventually I found my way out to LA, went to film school. It was cool. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was, uh, a lot. Um, I ended up producing two senior thesis films and at CSU Northridge, that's kind of a big deal. Like, their 15 minute shorts end up being like $40,000. So it's like a pretty, pretty, they put a lot into it and you basically get half, half of that money and then you have to raise the rest. So um, I ended up producing a couple. Then after I got out, I was always kind of thought about acting and people, Oh, you should get into acting. So I took a year. I studied at UCLA for a year. They have an acting certificate out there, so I did that. And then I got to doing improv at Second City in Hollywood. No. Nice. they They're no longer. Uh, they're closed now out here. There's wow. a couple improv. They're still in Chicago and Toronto. Um, and then I was I was cruising. You know, I, I got a commercial agent. And then 2019 was pretty good. I was in a Taylor Swift music video playing drums. I got some Gucci ad, don't know how, but i <laughs> like, all right, cool. And then uh, COVID hit, and then I, I worked like one day on a crime recreation show just because I had like a, a gray uh, four-door sedan, and they needed that for the, the, the scene because the guy had one. So I'm like, all right. And then I started doing um, private coaching with, uh actor named rodney roland he's been in like a million things x-files veronica mars and stuff because like everything was closed i was like you know what it seems like this zoom thing is here to stay so then uh i got i did that for about a year and then i recently got a theatrical agent and a manager and so um basically uh so that's kind of a long story short or long story longer so basically for anyone who wants to get into acting, first thing you have to do is train because it takes honestly it takes about five years to get good. It can take maybe a year or two to become competent, but to like really feel like you have it, you just have to put in the reps. But also, you have to um, find good teachers, and you really won't know if it's a good teacher until you start like booking stuff or you can like kind of feel it. Um, the good thing about now is. There's a ton of teachers and coaching and classes on Zoom, so you don't have to live in LA or New York or Atlanta to take get good instruction from people. It's going to be expensive, but that's just kind of the price of admission. Um, so first off, basically um, the two, or really there's three main sites if you want to try to book jobs. Um, it's casting networks. Uh, there's Actors Access, and then there's Backstage, which it's casting networks and actors access are about they're about equal backstage. It's a little, little less as <laughs> I still hear people booking stuff. I, I'm not personally on there. I'm just on casting networks and actors access because on there you can click where you're at. So you can, you can apply for jobs all over the country, but, or you can just like click your general area. Most of the jobs are going to be in like LA, New York and Atlanta, but they're, they have, people posting stuff all over the country. Um, From there, you basically want some good headshots. Uh, There's kind of a, there's a difference between commercial headshots and theatrical headshots. Theatrical basically just meaning TV and film and then commercial is just, you know, commercials. Commercial headshots are gonna typically be brighter and you're probably gonna be smiling or having kind of a goofy look on your face, whereas theatrical (laughs) tends to be a little bit more serious. Um, and you really want to kind of research, um, see if you can find someone or like go on IMDB and just look up your favorite actors. Cause they'll have headshots on there. So you can kind of understand cause they're not really portraits. Cause if you go in and get a portrait, it's just going to look a little goofy cause you basically, it's not so much that you want a picture of you. You want a picture of the character you could play. So there's a nuance there. And also like, when you're getting a headshot, you kind of want to ha- you want to have, you, you want to bring it to life kind of in the eyes. And the way you do that is let's say you want to play a bad guy. I, I, I want to play bad guys. I'm a bad guy. You don't just go in there thinking, I'm a bad guy. You know, you have, to, <laughs> you have to have something, you have to be thinking of something. So you'd want to put into your mind, think about someone you don't like or someone you hate. And you just think about having a conversation with them or even start verbalizing it a little bit, have an imaginary conversation with someone you hate. And then your face will change when you're thinking of things or like, say you you're going out for it and you, I want to be like a lead, all American guy, you know, think about, you know, you're talking to your best friend, you you walk into a room and see a buddy you haven't seen in a while and then your face will light up and you'll kind of be more open. So just giving all your, your viewers, some, some secret insider tips for that anyway. So, you get your headshots, right? So now you have the catch 22 problem of like, I need footage to get the job, but I can't get the job without footage. So how do right. I get footage? So basically you can make the footage yourself, or you just go and find a bunch of free stuff. Uh, a lot of student films, stuff like that. Um, depending on where you're at, there will be different, they'll have different programs that like, universities, community colleges, stuff like that. Most have some type of film program and they're going to need actors and stuff to shoot their assignments. So you can reach out, just look on, most of them are probably going to be using like either Actors Access or Casting Network. So you can find stuff on there. Uh, But you just have to do a bunch of free stuff until you have enough footage to get the paid stuff. And it's paying your dues. Basically. (laughs) And a lot of times uh you know there can be issues with that, especially with student films. Uh because basically as an actor, I just need like 10 or 15 seconds of me looking good on camera. That's it. I don't need anything else. I just that's all for my reel because casting directors they have to go through like four hundred different like views, like so I, I just need a little bit. I don't need like ten minutes of footage, but A lot of people on their first film will be self-conscious and they don't want anyone else to see it i've had that a few times where i'll I'll like do something for free and i'll be like oh this will look good and then i just never get it and i'm like oh well that's just kind of the price you pay but basically once you get that you cut your uh you cut your uh reel together oh yeah if you're going to make uh if you're going to make footage make something most important thing you need is good sound like you can have like mediocre picture or whatever but if the sound sucks it just it's not going to be watchable and people aren't going to take you serious so like let me see at home let me grab something so this is basically my rig but this uh you have a boom mic you basically need one of these to plug into your camera it doesn't have to be this big um, but basically you just want good sound whether that's a lab mic or uh, a boom mic if you if in a close-up a boom mic is going to be good enough for you to get good dialogue um, but yeah you just want to have decent sound that's super important and then you can just shoot your own scenes write your own scenes you can have chat GBT write you a scene and then it. like if you're not a writer. So like, yeah, that's kind of how you get around that. And then once you have that, you can just, you know, email, see like looking in your town, see who the talent uh, reps are. Cause you have commercial agents they are usually easier to get than theatrical agents. Um, and depending on where you're at, there may or may not be. Um, you know talent management agencies um so then from there you just email people or on uh casting networks and actors access you can pay like 35 bucks to have your your materials sent out to everyone who's on there and then you'll get responses back that's kind of the easiest way to go about it and if people like your stuff they'll email you back and say hey we want to rep you and you just kind of go from there. And then after that, you're basically working your way up the talent management ladder. So it's like, you know, there's, I think it's like seven different major, um, like all the A-listers are rough by like William Morris Endeavor, CAA, all these big ones. So from there, you're basically just trying to climb the ladder of like better and better agencies to get you better and better gigs. Cause like the higher up you get there, You're not going to see like, hey, we need Superman for, you know, the new DC movie on any of these websites because, you know, that's going to go to A-listers. They're not going to just be like, hey, uh, we can't find Thor. Who are – what are we going to do? No A-listers.
0: Backstage.
2: It's backstage. (laughs) backstage.
1: So – but yeah, that's pretty much, um, you know, I was always fairly interested in horror movies and stuff. And so whenever I see, I like to play the villain roles are always fun. So I, I, I like to go out for those. Um, it just kind of, you know, you get what you get and, you know, it, it's competitive, but, you know, I also have a group of guys out here and we shoot stuff on our own. So it's just kind of nice. nice. If you want to be in this industry, you really have to always find a way to create and really, like you can't shoot something when a script doesn't exist so like people who writers are the most valued that's why there's a strike happening right now like this industry doesn't work without writers and so you know if you're able to be a great writer then you bring so much value to like being able to shoot and just do anything and you're like worth your weight and gold because like but that's the hardest part you really have to write every day it's like, yeah. It's like the I, feel va- I feel
0: validated. Yeah. Ah. There you go. <laughs> it's pro- uh, it's primarily what I do. Is I oh, write. Nice. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: So, yeah. No, it's super important. Like without people like you writing, it's just and it takes so much work. I'm like, I'll write. Sometimes it's like when the muse comes to visit, I'll be like, okay, yeah. And then ten pages later, I'm like, okay, I, that was a nice little dopamine kick. I, I feel validated. I'm oh, sometimes. Do this again. sometimes.
0: Sometimes yeah. I gotta put that bitch in a chokehold. It's Like, sit down, woman. I'm trying. I'm trying to work here.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, but it just really comes down to consistency. Whatever anyone wants to do, you just have to find a time to do it every day. That's when I, I have been on my writer's kick, just making sure I do it every day. And then it just takes a, a few days of not doing that, and then just like having something else going on, and then it's like, oh no, wait. And then a month later, it's like. Oh yeah. What? Oh shit. I haven't been writing. Damn.
2: It. So yeah. Um, but yeah, that's before- why I have,
0: that's literally, if you, I don't oh. know if you can see it in my office, that's why yeah. I have H P Lovecraft.
2: Oh, nice.
0: Like right there because he's oh. one of my favorite, one of my favorite authors, but I have him nice. sitting there looking over my shoulder, essentially saying mm-hmm. you should be writing. Why are you not writing? It's uh, yeah, like, you yeah. Yeah. It's we'll this is my story. reminder. Oh, What's your <laughs> writing there? Huh?
1: Nothing.
0: Oh, you better get on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, going on and and I remember because I you know, I went to school myself I, I graduated uh the Kim Dawson Conservatory back in 03 and I went through the the, the whole thing now there's a couple of questions I have to ask so yeah. as far as like acting style when you're talking about training because training is so important mm-hmm. is there a particular style that you um adhere to or do you do you pick from the ones that you like or one that you're really really grounded in
1: yeah uh that's a good question so the styles that I mostly focus on um I, so I started out, uh, let's see, how can I wrap around this? Um, so I learned, I'd say I first got, um, proficient in improv. So I did that for a couple of years. So I feel very comfortable and like also, like just coming up with things and then which that's that's just one tool you can't really you, there's a lot of other things you have to you can't just like improvise your way through a non improv show right but it definitely helps if i'm like hey can i try this i think this would be really good and just like or if there's ever room for improv like if if a director i had this happen recently he's like yeah there's a little room for improv and to me that says i'm gonna do the lines But if the camera keeps rolling after that, I'm just going to keep talking because I have ideas. And so I'm always pretty good about, like, finding the humor and levity in a scene, right? You know, I'll come up with jokes and be like, that'd be funny to say. Let me see if I can find a way to or it's just like um, being learning to be present in the moment. Because with improv, if you're not, you have to be in it in order for it to work. So it's helped me kind of stay grounded. Um, And then. When I did the um, coaching, I was basically taught more kind of like a method approach where it's just like staying in it and kind of feeling it. Um, I'd say with that, it's like, it's not like Jared Leto or something where being, oh, better better that out. I might work with the guy one day. (laughs) No, like you hear all this stuff, which honestly, I think it's probably more or I hope it's more like uh, marketing BS than
0: like you know,
1: sending condoms, used condoms to your you know coworkers. It's like, that's not helping anyone. It's not going to help. It certainly is not going to help my approach. But it's just learning how to kind of connect with the characters and really, really break it down. Um, there's really only typically a couple of scene objectives there. When you really break it down, it's like, trying to get someone on your side or there's a different in status and you're trying to get your power get your power from the scene so when you really break it down like okay what is the scene objective here like am i above this person or below this person or you know maybe you're trying to torture someone and you're just enjoying your power and you're just you know so it's when you're able to identify the actual scene objective and then just kind of break it down that's what i kind of learned to do and then just learning how to break down the script because um for me before i until like recently i was just didn't really have a way to break things down properly so i just kind of do the rote memorization and unfortunately like a lot of places you're gonna give money to they might teach a certain technique but they won't necessarily teach you how to break down a script properly so you right. kind of go line by line and then you uh, figure out like, okay, what am I trying to do with this line? It's like, cause it could just be like, I could be like, Hey JL, how have you been? And then, so what am I actually saying? What's the subtext there? Am I trying to like, am I asking you, the simple thing would be to ask, I'm just asking you a question or am I trying to intimidate you? Cause then it would be like, oh, hey JL, how are you doing? You know so depending on what you're actually saying with that line will dictate how you say it as well so once you're able to go line by line and break down you call the beats like kind of the emotional energy for each one and sometimes one whole sentence or like one paragraph will just be one beat and that's fine it doesn't you don't need to have a different thing for each line because then you just come off as like you know bipolar or something
0: very staccato. Yeah, you want to avoid that staccato where everything's yeah,
1: like, yeah,
2: like, "Uh, uh, uh DJ, yeah,
1: how you doing?" Anyway, so, yeah. But yeah, just learning how to break down the script. That's my approach. It's breaking down. Um, there's also substitution. I don't really lock into that as much. That's very method where it's like, typically you're just going to. Um, substitute the person with someone who's very close in your life. So typically, it's going to be mom, dad, or siblings, or maybe best friend. Um, I don't really lock into that as much. Uh, I didn't really feel like it helped me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of get more just think about the character as opposed to if I'm not really connecting with if it doesn't seem like I'm connecting, then I might try to do substitution, but I'll usually do the other two things more where I'm just like mm-hmm. scene objective and then break down the beats and then just going over the script. And then um, Michael Kane has this drill. It's called basically he'll do the script normal and then he'll do it like he's talking to a six year old. So you can do something like that. And the reason why you do that is so you don't get stuck. Because if you only practice it one way when you're on set or you get into an in-person in audition and they ask you to do uh, adjustments, you're not going to be able to do it if you just spend like six hours practicing it one way. So you want to do it as differently as possible. There's also my coach called it a 2 a.m. drill where you do it as though you're leaving the club with your best buddy at two in the morning. So it's like very high energy. So you have like, you have a breadth of, um, you have a much wider range of what you can do with the scene and the character, as opposed to a lot of people just drill it one way. And then, you know, when you're in in in-person audition, um, I mean, most, so, almost everything now is, uh, self taped So you won't necessarily have this problem per se, but if you're in the room, it's only natural for your adrenaline to spike a little bit. So you're going to speed up or, you know, you might speed up and then if you only do it one way when you're relaxed, then it's gonna, you know, you're, you're gonna have some issues. So, um, I'm getting really, this turning into an actor's studio talk here, (laughs) but, uh,
0: yeah. Well, that and I'm curious because because what we learned at KD was mm. predominantly we focused on the Cohen method, and yeah. that was developing what's called the goat sheet with your goals, your obstacles, mm. your tactics, and your expectations, and yeah. that you you have a kind of an overall sheet for the entire mm. project, like like what the story is being told, and then for each yeah. individual scene, these might you might have sub goals or sub obstacles mm-hmm. or things that things that suddenly arise that you so you basically you work it from there and you do your your script breakdown it's the exact mm. same thing and yeah. then you break it down in kind of like this this hierarchy so you have like a nested mm-hmm. hierarchy and then you approach each one but the first and foremost it's about knowing the script and mm-hmm. then developing the character and, and understanding and then stepping into those shoes and then working it like that mm-hmm. It's a bit more analytical than yeah. you know Then I would say like Anthony Hopkins approach, which is like read the script 200 times Mm -hmm. and now I've got it set in my head. And then when I'm in the moment, I can I know the script so well that I can adjust and I can give different variations. It's Mm -hmm. similar to John Cusack because every take John Cusack does, it's different Mm because he's always willing to try something new and different. It was an interesting story on 1408 because you had Cusack and you had Sam Jackson and the Mm -hmm. two of them are working together completely different schools of thought. And it makes for an interesting dynamic because yeah. Cusack is doing a different thing every single take. He's down, he's mm-hmm. up, he's here, he adjusts. Whereas Sam Jackson is,
2: yeah, if yeah, I, yeah. I do
0: it, and then that's how I'm going to do it. Very, very yeah. De Niro in that respect. So, yeah, yeah, But it's interesting how many ways you can come across. You can get. You mm-hmm. can come at it. And I love the dy- what I loved mm-hmm. was the dynamic of working with actors who train differently mm-hmm. because it's almost like we're we're speaking the same language, but it's kind of like italian and spanish where they're, yeah. they're they're related and you can mm-hmm. kind of get some across but it finding that finding that is like reading their body mm-hmm. in the moment which becomes more organic and i love organic whenever i'm shooting whenever i'm shooting yeah. a scene or i'm in a scene i love those organic moments that pop that mm-hmm. go like that you that the actors don't expect and then they react like their characters and it's like mm-hmm. i love those moments they they that's the magic that i think yeah. exists there is seeing those
2: mm-hmm. now
0: you mentioned headshots I'm very curious. I'm old school, yeah. And a lot of actors, I, I know a lot of actors I know are old school. Uh, just, I think virtue of our age when we came up. Do you prefer? I just this is totally opinion. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer color headshots or black and whites?
1: Uh, it's all color now. I mean, back. I in hate the-
0: that. Yeah. I hate <laughs> it. I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate yeah. color headshots. I see color headshots, and I'm like, mm-hmm. if I see a black and white. I'm immediately mm-hmm. drawn to what mm-hmm. they're emoting to me I not see, this yeah. visual because with the color mm-hmm. I'm distracted by the by the color contrast oh, like yeah. what's going on what's what is intended to what like what are they trying to make pop mm-hmm. to me with black and white all I see is them mm-hmm. and it's kind of like what are they conveying to me mm-hmm. you know and then I can see the depth of that and that's that's where I I I'm like yeah. I hear color headshots and I'm like Oh, it just it just grates at me. But that's just me. And I'm yeah, I'm old in that I'm old fashioned in that respect.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean it makes sense. I will say um part of it that might be like there are a lot of people who take headshots and they will over um over correct, I guess. They'll like do too much Photoshop to make like take out all the imperfections and stuff, and you can tell it's just like, oh, that looks like someone just has smooth no one has that smoothest skin you know um so i think maybe the pendulum that could be part of it too it's just like there's too much post-production done on some of these headshots and that's like good headshot photographers and everything will just like they know how to you know they'll be expensive but they'll take yeah you you just want to look like yourself on a good skin day basically any more than that you
0: get what you pay for Essentially. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, but, you know, in the short term, good enough is good enough. But eventually you get to the point where you're like, okay, I, I want something that, you know, is a little more true, but it makes sense. I mean, black and white headshots, at least out here will make people think, oh, this is, is this your modeling headshot <laughs> or, you know, so, it's like, oh, cool. But yeah, so.
0: Um, but yeah. I think I'm. I think I'm just. I'm just old Hollywood in that respect. I just uh, prefer those. I say, you know, I look at them and I just look at what I. I. I when I look at color, I'm just always mm-hmm. concerned about what I'm not seeing. And with uh, black and white, I yeah. don't have to be concerned about that. I can be focused solely on. The, what mm-hmm. the individuals conveying to me with their eyes, with their micro expressions, what's coming yeah. across? That yeah, like I said, it, it's it's an opinion on that. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to training, and once uh, one thing that I found in my experience is that
2: mm-hmm.
0: of the three different, of the three predominant different kinds of acting that you can do, you you mm-hmm. do your typical performance, which people think of acting as yeah, you know, when you're in a role, and so like mm-hmm. you're either on screen or you're on stage, and that that's that's the performance, you know. Mm-hmm. But then you also have voice acting. And then in my eyes, you also have, or I, would, I would think people would agree, you have movement acting, mm. where essentially there's no vocalization. Oftentimes there could be no even like face. If you think of individuals like uh, Javier Botet or Doug Jones, mm. uh, you know, Derek Mears, where you have very little opportunity to work with all the tools we have available to us. Mm. You've, you've restricted the tool. So you have to be able to convey everything a face can without using your face which is so phenomenally difficult. Have Mm -hmm. you gone through any specific movement training? Because we we did it at KD. We had movement Mm -hmm. training specifically. But did you find yourself going into that in order to, like you said, with that demon character you played?
1: Mm Let me think. I haven't specifically done um, any type of movement classes or training. I mean, I've always been a pretty active person. So I think it's just been kind of like I'll see something and then I'll – try it and then just kind of like okay how would this person i maybe i think maybe an improv we've done we've had a couple there will be like a day in improv each term where it's like okay we're going to try some movement stuff so i've done a little bit but not like a class that was specifically focused on that but um it's just kind of like um focusing and i've been an active guy i've done like martial arts here and there and lift weights and stuff so I kind of have a sense of balance and then like, okay, what happens if your center of balance is high versus low versus just like, you know, what, how, how your feet, how you step. And I I always enjoy depending on like, if it's appropriate, the part, like I enjoy like, okay, how can I, you know, the movement. um, and, And it's more for creatures, but even with characters, it's like, okay, how does this, what's this person's breakdown? Like if somebody is out of shape versus in shape, if they have a lamp, so you can kind of like sprinkle some of these little things and it, it can bring more life to the character. But um, basically I just, you know, fuck around and find out it's like, okay, I'll, I'll try this. See if it works. Does it work for the character? No. Okay. I'll try something else. I kind of like pull back a little bit or, you know, but it, it's more, you can do more of that in the creature work or, you you know, somebody has, if a character has a specific, um, you know, some type of physical condition or something, or like, you know, let's say they're maybe a smoker, they have something, uh, maybe they have a limp, and you can kind of just like play with that a little bit or, you know, overweight versus underweight, um, you know, you can kind of move different. Or, like, if I really wanted to get into it, you know, I could adjust, like, my workout routine a little bit because, like, you know, how big you are can restrict your movement a little bit versus how you're a little more, like, loose when you don't, like, lift weights as much. So I might, like, play with that a little bit or, like, if I want to be more limber, I might stretch out more leading up to a roll. Um, And then even just little things like how... Much you are on the balls of your feet versus your heels. Um, that can make a difference with how, like, movement based you are. So, uh, long story short, I play with it a little bit, but it really dictates the role um, how much I might implement that. Um, and typically, if I'm playing, like, uh, you know, a creature, I'm going to play with that a lot more versus if I'm kind of more in grounded reality, I'm probably going to play with that a lot less, you know, because you also don't want to do something that is like distracting for no reason. Like if it doesn't serve the character to do something specific, then I'm not going to do it. You know, like it has to be specific and serve the the character in the story. Otherwise you're just kind of like getting high on your own supply. Like, Oh, look at how good of an actor I am. I I (laughs) look look at my limp. Isn't that so realistic? And, I think that's kind of the trap that actors can get into sometimes. Like whenever an actor learns to cry, they want to cry in every single thing. It's like, no, that's not, no, people don't cry that much. It's not necessary for this. You know, it was like, Oh, I learned this new tool. I want to use it and show, you know, it's only natural to want to share the things we've mastered, but it doesn't always work for everything. So, you know, there's always, yeah, I try to be as, careful and cognizant as I can to only use the tools that are necessary for the specific role because like a lot of times it's the less is more in my opinion um, when it comes to this type of work and if you can do more with less then that's always going to be ideal you know because then it's just you know it's more powerful people will all it's kind of like horror movies the ones that are scariest is where you don't fully get to see the monster because people's imagination fills Imagine it, it yeah. with their biggest fears. So you can kind of do that with acting in a way. People will fill in typically the good like, oh, that was so, you know, powerful. It's like the um, uh, what was the the Russian term with the match cuts where it's like uh, they had a guy just looking and then they, they put all kinds of different stuff in there. And then it, it was just a guy who was like looking at a wall, but you don't see it. And then they put like a funeral procession and they cut back to him and it was like, oh, he was so sad. And then they cut to like a child. He's like, oh, he was uh, s- uh, such a loving father. It's like people will uh I forget the term. I learned it in film school. I'm I'm drawing a blank. It was a Russian uh it's not Chekhov's gun. It was it was something uh anyway, the guy who discovered match cuts basically. Um but People will fill in based off of like you could literally have a blank expression and people fill in the meaning based off of what the other thing is when you're reacting. So um, you can potentially mess that up if you overdo it. So but yeah, so
0: I remember that I remember uh, Kubrick used that. Quite a yeah, bit. Yeah. Kubrick used that in 2001: uh, A Space Odyssey, and mm-hmm. where where something something uh, like the boat like the from the bone club to the to the spaceship in orbit mm-hmm. would use yeah. those, you know, cutting the intersplicing mm-hmm. those two scenes, connecting the theme, but using two yeah. different images, two different contexts to connect mm-hmm.
1: that. Um, uh, it's shot reverse shot. That's what it is. Mash cuts is something, but shot reverse shot is just like oh, looking at that the thing, and then back, and you could literally just not be looking at anything and people if you're a good editor you can <laughs> do a lot oh yeah So yeah but so, um
0: yeah so has um as far as as far as acting goes um how i and i gotta ask this uh, pretty mm-hmm. much every uh, pretty much everybody so how has the strike affected you or has it affected you at all so far
1: um a little and bit how are you ad-
0: and how are you adapting
1: yeah so for me i'm sag eligible so i'm not in the union right now so i can still work non-union jobs and i can do like you know pretty much whatever i want right now so i mean i'm not no one's really working any union gigs so i'm just doing like getting together with other people who are shooting stuff and you know just being as productive as i can i'm still auditioning for things um and making content on my own so for me it doesn't affect me as much i mean a lot of the bigger stuff like union movies and tv shows um those are obviously uh those are big budget things they pay better and you know uh they're keep a lot of people in business so it's for me personally slowed down a little bit um i also do i've done set work and stuff like that too i I still do pretty much whatever i can to stay on set um you know whether it's pa i used to actually do practical effects for a couple of years until i kind of pulled back just so i could focus more on acting and that's mostly just turning on a smoke machine and putting a fan in a specific direction so it's a little more complicated than that but usually it's just getting smoke or haze and learning how to control that stuff so I did that for a while and it's good to anyone who wants to get into film. I, I think I'd recommend like go on as a PA and try to have one, even if it's a small gig, try to work in every position you can just so you know how the machine works. Yeah. Cause now I know, I know why we're waiting. I can just look around and be like, okay, they're doing a camera setup. Okay. That's steady cam. It's going to take a while to balance that and get every, the blocking and stuff. So, um, yeah, I still I do I edit as well. So like, you know, if I'm between gigs, I'll, I'll take on some editing jobs and stuff like that. So I'm still I don't just act I do like, uh, I still have my my fingers and a lot of other uh, aspects of filmmaking and stuff like that. So I do like to direct to I'll, I'll still direct probably like uh, one or two shorts a year. Uh, initially, that's kind of what my main focus was. And then I I discovered acting and I'm like, all right, I can act more than I can direct. uh, Just from a time constraint, you know, because especially out here, you're, you know, you're typically not going to find someone who's like, oh, man, I'm I'm such a great writer, but I'm agoraphobic. I just please someone take this off my hands and direct for me because I just I don't want anything to do with it. I just want my stuff. So you kind of have to uh at least out here um unless you have like a specific group or you have people who are just some scenario like that you know and if you want to direct you have to be a good writer too and you also have to produce like and producing basically just means manage the whole project from start to finish like okay pre-production where are we going to shoot it's casting you know so uh, You can only do that so much on kind of like uh, when you only have like a handful or depending on how many people you have for project, you know, because there there will always be plenty of actors out there to be in your projects. But having like a solid script and then calling in the favors to shoot, you know, here and there and then, you know, just having decent equipment and everything, you know, it can add up. Even if you call in the favors, you're still going to have to, you know pull out a little bit of cash here and there. And, you know, I, I've been on the sets where I'm like, all right, I'm fine. It's no budget. I, I could use the footage and then you show up and like uh, the crafty, bro. And the crafty is not good. You're just like, what? <laughs> bro, if, if anything else, if, if you are on a shoestring budget, put money in good crafty, good food. Because every there's nothing worse than like being on set and then going – over lunch like you're supposed to eat every six hours sometimes you'll be on sets where they're behind and stuff but then yeah. when that happens and then you have like you know just i don't know a cold sandwich and jello you're like what Th- this is what i signed up for you know so you know it's feeding people properly it's just it's a good gesture and it, it keeps people happy they're like oh fuck yeah food was great you
2: know so
0: that's something that we do. We we yeah. we put a lot of focus on uh, with the productions that we that we're behind. Mm-hmm. I remember that we had a full like like when we were shooting uh, an upcoming pro- project that we did called Eleven to Six, which is a sl- which is a slasher film. Mm. Um, we ensured like I think I think it was we had that uh, a professional chef cater that oh. came in and we brought a chef in in order to lay out a spread that they had completely planned like okay that's gonna work with a variety of options both mm. you know for the, uh, the for the carnivores and the and the vegans out there but I remember like like they came in they set up in the like we had like kind of like a vestibule area where it was kind of like offset when we were shooting and they set up the whole thing big, mm. long spread that people could go from from uh, from hot plate to hot plate magnificent food but you like our director Eugene who's our like oh. our resident director, Always make sure you make sure damn sure that we have good food there because if the food sucks, people mm. are going to lose their energy, they're going to lose their focus, they're going to get pissy, they're going to get frustrated, and oh, it's just yeah. going to undermine your whole project. Because mm. actors, you know, live and die in their stomachs. Is yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly.
1: Get some coffee, some energy drinks too. I've been, I think I was on one. I've been on one set where they didn't have coffee. It was a guy who was just kind of starting out, so I, I, I remember I was just like. Hey, hey man, you got some coffee? He's like, oh, I brought orange juice. I was like, oof, must be his first rodeo. So I kind of like, like, okay, I'm like, I'm gonna go grab an energy drink. I'll be right back. And yeah, you know, it was cool. But yeah, so yeah, that's. But that kind of comes with the territory. You know, you work whatever comes your way, and sometimes you can, you know, the I will say the benefit about even working, you know, some of these smaller projects, even if the food isn't the best, typically those directors will be more open to like um, giving you more artistic freedom um, because, you know, the, when the, the project is smaller, there's a little bit more overlap and, you know, you can just be like, Hey, I have an idea for this. Can I try this? they will usually say yes. You know, with the bigger productions, I mean, it might be cost being like, you know, a thousand dollars a minute or something, or like when you really break it down. I did, um, I did, I worked on the TV show SWAT. It was the season oh, five nice. finale. And basically, I was just helping clear basically, okay, so terrorists put a bomb on a cruise ship. The Queen Mary out here is where we shot it. And we basically had to clear this cruise ship. So I was like running around in the background with a full chemical suit on, and we were like, clearing the cruise ship um, but um, let's see oh yeah so I, I think I did the math I forget but it was that show I forget how much they put in for it it was something ridiculous like 10 million dollars an episode or 25 million an episode wow. something I don't know maybe it wasn't that much but um, I think I did the math or someone did the math and it was like uh I don't know, like $10,000 a minute to shoot. And because they had like all the extras, they had the renting the Queen Mary, all the actors. And it was really quick. Cause like on that show, they would do like, uh, they do two takes max and then just move on. And it was out within three weeks because they have like TV shows, they have a machine. And I was just like, Oh shit. Like that, it was that quick, but it's because all the actors know who they are, know their role. And so there's like, not, as much directing that has to happen when you've been playing the same characters for like five years and everyone kind of knows. So they just get in and out. And it was like, it's super interesting working on a TV show versus like working on movies. You tend to take a lot more time in between for each, each scene and everything. So it's just, the machine is different depending on on where you're at and what you're doing. So
0: it's it's that was that was Kevin Smith's takeaway because mm-hmm. Kevin Smith was talking about you know after he got done with uh we well, know yeah, I he, I don't think he's done as a director for films but he took a break mm-hmm. he started doing TV so he did some stuff for CW with the mm-hmm. with the Arrowverse with with Supergirl and Flash and he said coming on as a director in those it was kind of like oh I walk in
2: mm-hmm. I sit
0: down and action and they do their thing and cut. Uh-huh. Oh, I guess we're okay. We're done. And yeah. it, he said yeah. it was shocking. He was shocking how like the difference in between directing TV and directing movies was because mm-hmm. he felt he felt like when he was directing TV, he's like, "What the hell am I doing here? I, this is I'm so this is so lazy. All yeah. I'm doing is just like ah, ah and I'm getting paid for it. It's yeah. like these guys know what they're doing. Uh-huh. Let them run. He's like, no, we have we have to have someone who calls action and calls cut. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like." And uh, but I found it to be intriguing how different mm. those machine how different those animals are and mm. you know moving from uh, moving from uh, movies to TV but I especially also love stage because mm. I'm a i am love I that's where my background was I came up mm. on the stage and I love stage performance and directing on stage also wildly wildly different mm. because of you know the fact because I think it's because you're plant you're prepping for the audience instead of for the screen so mm. knowing that. Where your audience is going to be sitting, whether they're like right up close or whether you're filling a giant theater, yeah, that has like five thousand seats. So that's always a a, a really interesting, organic animal, you know, Mm -hmm. which I which I really really like. Have you uh, have you done much stage in Um, in your
1: background? Yeah. So when I was in college, I did Legally Blonde. I played Kyle, the UPS guy, which was a super fun role. Yeah, um, I did some. It was like a theater out here, Metro, MD. Uh, It was, um, I did that out here. It's been a while, Um, I will say. And then all the improv stuff, that was all staged. Um, That's one thing that you kind of have to learn to adjust. It's to you're cheating towards the audience versus cheating towards camera. (laughs)
2: Because then
1: like when I was doing a bunch of stage stuff and improv, I'd have a a tendency to kind of present towards where the audience would be as opposed to like staying tight with the camera because with the camera like any little movement it's going to be magnified like 10x and a lot of times you don't want to be like moving around a ton in your you know obviously close-ups you need to know like okay this is how i do like behave in a close-up or how i move versus like the wider and i'd say because you know i'm a musician too so Doing theater, it's kind of, like, very similar to playing music to an audience. It's just one take, you know. So the there's a different type of pressure and energy where it's live. You get instant feedback. That's the beauty about, like, stage work. It's, like, you know if it's hitting or not because you can hear the reactions. And right. sometimes you'll be doing the same thing. And it's like, the night before, you're like, oh, we're going to kill this one thing I did. You know, I'm going to hit it like that. And then you... For whatever reason that audience just isn't digging the same thing and there'll just be different energies, sometimes like depending on the day and stuff. So it's just like a totally it's a different beast. It's the same like you know, same ballpark, but like just a slightly different game, you know.
2: So
0: one of my favorites, even though the 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 play in and of itself, and this is actually my first professional role out of school. Mm was I got to go and get paid and it was you know my first like you know like I was like wow I'm getting paid to be uh-huh. on stage that's always a fun feeling it's like the first yeah. time you walk on that stage and you're like oh I'm cutting a paycheck this is amazing mm-hmm. um equity plays are also a lot of fun to do because it's the same kind of like very union yeah. gig it's like mm-hmm. nope nope we're going to lunch right now like that you have that you you, uh, you have the rep there which is awesome but I did I played Van Helsing in mm. a stage production of, of Bram Stoker's Dracula and I remember that you know, the difference. the predominantly difference there was the, was the live audience, it was having the live audience right there in front of you. And it's different from night to night. Sometimes you have one that you get the energy from them, and you, know, you can play mm-hmm. off of that, and everything is rolling really good. Sometimes the audience is just dead. They don't react mm-hmm. to anything, and you're like, what am I doing wrong? Because uh-huh. you're not getting that instantaneous gratification. And I remember one night, and it, this is pure emotion, because when it's, when it's live, like you said, it's one take. So even Mm. though you're doing like, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 shows, you know, I'm up there on stage. It's the same role every night, but you never know what's going to happen. And we had, I remember one night we had a group of teenagers Mm. that was in the front row and they would not stop talking. So we're, we're all aware of it. Like all of us on stage, we could, we're doing a dramatic scene when I'm giving Lucy her blood transfusion and everything, it's all dramatic and shit. And people are like freaking out and they're just like yapping and yapping and on their phones Oh. And we are all, we, we, we cut, we cut, we get off of the scene. We're backstage we're like, what the fuck are you? Somebody go handle those people. And I remember one night, I remember the night that this was happening. And it was so bad because my dean of education was there from KD You know, T.A. Taylor was in the, was in the audience. <laughs> and I did the scene where I have to finish staking Lucy. And I'm like, oh, it's stake Lucy and Lucy's dead. And I have the hammer in my, I have the mallet in my hand. And they are just like, yada, yada, And it's quiet. And everybody's like, ah, oh, except these one these kids. And they're like oh. running their mouths, blah 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 blah. And and in my in my character's frustration,
2: uh. I threw I throw
0: the hammer at the ground. Ah, oh, I lost Lucy. And the hammer just happened to bounce off the stage and directly hit them. Oh. <laughs> and it just like I kind of launched it directly at them, and then all of a sudden they shut up.
2: Uh. And, like,
0: and then we close curtain on that scene to go to intermission, because that's like the intermission moment. We close we close mm. curtain and I hear them. They're like, did he just throw that hammer at us <laughs> like fuck, uh, yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> that's why i love i love stage so oh, stage is so much fun to go to because mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen it's always just like yeah. very bill o'reilly Let's well, fuck it let's do it live and let's yeah, just uh-huh. never know what's gonna pop it's so much fun uh-huh. going forward with your career and mm-hmm. i see you've got some things that are that are currently coming up like uh i noticed on your imdb that you've got um what looks like, something called Meat Hook, which is in post? Yeah.
1: Um, actually, so I worked with uh, my buddy from film school, Jeremy Pair. Um, he he went to CSUN as well. He was a couple um, classes, uh, terms ahead of me. I don't know, He was like a year ahead of me. Um, so I helped him out with this feature, which it's super cool. I got to play the bad guy. I filled in a, a few times as the bad guy. There are a couple – Truth be told, there are a couple of people who, who played played the villain, um, but that's currently in post production. It was cool. It was an indie, um, self funded like project. We we shot it over COVID, so like nice. and everything was like close, you, you could get away with a little more when nobody was around watching, you know. So we we shot that. Um, he directed it. I I just kind of helped with. Uh, I I helped cast that actually. And, um, what I will say from an actor perspective, casting a project, it helped open my mind to a lot of different things. Like, um, basically, you know, cause for each part, there's probably like maybe 300 people who applied. And then it's just like, you know, the bell curve, how it's just like, whoop. Mm-hmm. The people who apply for the gig, it falls into that where there's like a bunch of people in the middle who you're just like, nah, don't really feel too strongly. There's about 15% who you're like a strong no, or it's just and it's just the people because I can say when I first started acting, I was there too, so I can appreciate like, okay, I know why they did it. Where it's just like a wide frame and you can clearly see them reading and then there's like terrible lighting and it looks like they're in a dungeon. It's like, okay, I get it. This person probably thinks, fuck it, I'll give it the college go, you know, maybe they'll see something in me. And then there's like, maybe like the 15% or so, like the one standard deviation, as they say in statistics, where it's like, okay, this is the actual pool of people who we're going to pick from. Um, So it was interesting just kind of seeing how people... Or like some of the um, things that people would do, like the bad things. It's like having script in hand because you typically want to be off book. I mean, with some of the the strikes now, they basically say you don't have to be off book. But still, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably gonna if we're trusting someone, we want them to be off book. Basically, all right. That long, yeah, long like- and short, you're gonna better your opportunities if you're off book. You know. Um, but also sometimes, you know, so cameras here, typically you're just going to be looking slightly off camera. Sometimes people would be like a full, almost like <laughs> a profile.
2: Just, I can't even
1: basically see yeah. like almost a profile. So it's just like little things, um, like that, where I'm just like, all right, I gotta go through this whole thing. And then, um, we were doing in-person auditions as well as, um, tape auditions. And I remember, Um, I think a couple people didn't show up or something. When you're holding in-person auditions, something always happens. People are late. You give a range. You try to schedule people in. People are late. They have other things. But I remember I was like, we had like maybe an hour before anyone was going to come in. And, um, you know, there was just some random person in the, the, waiting area because there's always multiple rooms in these you know casting places. and i'm like you know what well, fuck it let's let's give this random person a try see what happens and <laughs> oh yeah it was a bad idea it was just like was just a completely crazy person basically like totally delusional couldn't read the part or act granted cold reading cold auditions are a skill in and of itself but it's pretty clear to me like oh yeah this is no this is not not doing that again <laughs> so i'm just like hey thanks for coming in we'll, we'll be in touch and then yeah so casting it's interesting it's fun in a way where you kind of get to be on the other side but then you also have like you know you have to sift through a lot of people when you're kind of on the um doing kind of like the indie indie side like if you there's another thing I've learned uh, from that is, you know, if you're like, let's say you have some money and you want, like, what I will say, if you have money, if you have a little bit of money, try to get some type of guest star. If you want to get a guest star in like someone who like say a cane hotter or something, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times on IMDB, that's just, they'll have like a number, but that's not how you actually reach them. Like, you have to hire a casting director because there's imdb which has some information Mm -hmm. but there's actually a separate um software like basically subscription service that casting directors use which i think it costs like a thousand bucks a year but that's how they can actually find the information to contact their actual reps because a lot of the the numbers you have on imdb it'll just go to an office and it'll go to an answering machine and you'd be like uh, hey, uh, this is a casting director. And then it just, it cuts off. I'm like, fuck. And then, so it's hard to actually, there's like a, a separation. There's like kind of a barrier for entry to even contact people who are working regularly. So that way, like crazy people who are making horror right. movies can't just go on IMDb and, and contact them. But um So casting was interesting, but yeah, that project's super cool. It's in post. Um, They're looking at, I'm not sure if we're going to get it into the um, uh, festivals this year because there's still, we're doing some VFX and stuff like that, but it's basically done and where it's just getting to the finish line, like that last 10%, which it's sometimes that last. 10% 10% of the stretch can take as long as, like, everything else. But uh, we're, we're pretty close to completion. That was a fun project. You know, I got to don all this, like, weird stuff and go kill teenagers and stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: look at the trailer. The trailer looks really, really sharp because that's yeah. up on IMDb currently. So that mm-hmm. looks really, really... That's looking uh, good. So yeah, I can't what, wait for that to come out.
1: What I will say is there are definitely some very gruesome scenes. I think there may be... One scene in there that I don't think I can't think of a movie that has a similar scene in terms of the type of gore and the specific way that this individual dies. I, I don't think I've seen it in any other movie. So I'll just throw that out there and and let everyone leave that to your imagination and everyone else to think of what, nice. what could possibly happen. So. That's
0: I love coming up. That's one of my favorite parts as far as writing goes, is mm. especially when writing slashers because I did the same thing with Eleven to Six and mm. and I also did um we did a short a short film which was a uh, a reimagining of the Nailgun Massacre um mm. that came out in 1985 and so mm. we're working on trying to get the feature length adaptation of that done like the feature length remake done mm. but we did another another slasher called Eleven to Six about a a, a waitress trapped in a diner by a psychopathic killer mm. and um i i wrote a sequence in that that i when i wrote it i was like i don't know how the hell we're going to do this but i went mm. for broke because it just kind of like it formed or i was like ooh, what if the killer did this it was like i want to see that yeah. on camera but i didn't know it, but, but they managed to pull it off and i cannot wait for people to see it when we finally mm. premiere it you know so i love coming up with intri- intriguing ideas like i wonder if that's ever been done you know and <laughs> go into those yeah. dark places i freaking love it yeah in the f- in the future um do you see, okay, so first off, uh, do you have any projects? Oh, like, do you specifically, like, want to work in the horror genre? You want to work mainstream across the board, whatever you can get your hands on? That's where you see yourself going?
1: Um, yeah, I, I definitely would like to do both. Um, it, it's just, it's interesting because you never really know where your career can take you. And I'm just trying to keep my eyes open in every direction because it's like if I only focus on one thing, there could be something else over here that could actually open the doors to that thing. Um, I definitely like horror. I've done a lot of my friends are shooting horror stuff, too. So I'm like, all right, this this is cool. I like this. Uh, I definitely enjoy doing like the creature stuff. So as much as I can, Um, it's kind of one of those things, too, where. Um, you know, I can only apply for the jobs that are in front of me. So it's like, I can be like, Oh, I I just want to do horror. That's all I'm going to do. But you know, sometimes people just aren't shooting horror. So I I don't want to like only just do the one thing. Um, but yeah, I, 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 would like to, um, I definitely, Career-wise, I want to be doing features and do uh, TV and features, basically, or streaming shows. Streaming would honestly be awesome. kind of where it's at now. But yeah, and, and the features, I mean, I, I do like, from the shorts, you just get to spend a little bit more time in the the feature. It's kind of like, um, I think that features, it's like like having a baby, and then like TV shows, it's like having a teenager where you're like, all right, you're off and running. I just kind of jump in there and guide you along the way where it's like, <laughs> oh, this baby, we need to nourish it and bring it to life. And so there, it's just kind of like a different, um, it's a different beast. They're both like, uh, you know, I, I just like to work as much as I can. Because even some of the projects I've worked on where I've read the script and like in my head, I'm just like, uh, I don't even know if I want to do this. And then I end up doing it and then it ends up being cool. You know, I've had a couple, I had a web series I did where I thought the script, I I was not sure how the script would resonate. And then it ended up getting like 6 million views in like a couple of days. I'm like, all right, I guess I was wrong, you know? So it's like, you never really know like what will resonate with people. And even if you get on a project where it seems a little bit outside of, your i don't know sensibilities i guess uh there's an audience for basically everything so like you know it's just a way to get out there and and i kind of had this motto on set limitations create innovations like if there weren't constraints then it wouldn't force you to work harder to get around those so whether it's acting or you're on set or you're you know maybe you have a location booked and then it's raining outside or some Mm -hmm. some crazy thing happens like you kind of get to a point whether it's acting or shooting or whatever it is where you you just have to be able to trust yourself that any challenge that comes your way you'll be able to overcome it and do something you'll you'll work around it but that also comes from doing a lot of pre-production and being prepared Mm -hmm. you can't overcome what surprises if you're not already prepared for all the other outcomes that you can think of. So that's that's also the other thing, I guess, going on a little bit of a tangent to working on projects kind of outside of the acting aspect. Um, all the projects I've worked on that have been successes, whether they're indie or whatever, well, um, we'll say on the indie side, because if someone's putting like $20 million into something, they're going to do this anyway. But um, for people who are just starting out, and try to um, think of every possible scenario that could go wrong with your project when you're shooting it, and then make a plan for that. And then if it happens, you'll be like, "Oh, no big deal. I, I made a plan for this." But like, we'll we'll just say it takes a hundred hour. We'll say it takes a hundred hours to shoot a short from pre-production to post, or whatever, not including editing. But so you can either spend like 25 hours a month over a month before preparing for everything, or you can prepare nothing and then end up on set and then not have a shot list and then just try to. You're going to spend that 20 hours that day <laughs> figuring out all your problems and everyone's going to hate you.
2: Try so, to wing it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Winging it. There's a certain point where, like, if you're doing like just a short or something and you want to test your camera gear and you have like a rough outline, like, oh, let's just shoot some shit. It's like, yeah, you can do like a couple minutes, like a, two or three minute proof of concept trailer where you're just kind of following characters if there's no real dialogue. But once you get the more serious you get, the more work you have to put into it in order for it to be a success. Cause you know, the bigger it gets, you need more crew and then there's just more logistics you have to, you know, be aware of and take care of. And uh, Um, yeah, it's rewarding, but it's also one of the things is you don't, when you're first starting out, you don't know what you don't know. So it's like, You won't, you know, you're going to have to learn hard lessons in any art form or work. And that's just part of it. And hopefully when you're first starting out, you're not putting a ton of money in these things anyway. So you won't (laughs) lose (laughs) from lack of knowledge, you know. Um, But yeah, I think uh, in terms of just career wise in general, always staying, keeping busy and like just working on the craft one way or another. So yeah, I was doing, um, I kind of took a break. I was doing a YouTube channel for a little while and I was just putting up more comedic stuff. And then um, that can take a little bit of, like I would spend probably like eight hours doing one like 90 second short. And I was like, oh damn, this is taking on, this is taking a lot more work than I thought. But uh, I would do that between like film gigs and stuff that I was doing. So it was just kind of a way to like, keep the creative juices flowing and, and whatnot nice. just always always staying busy and always finding something to do like because you know you can always write there's always something yeah and then i guess don't be afraid to help other people on their projects because like sometimes if somebody really needs like a pa or something it's like all right i'll help you out on your project and that's how you kind of build favor like there's a lot of jobs people don't want to do and pa is probably at the top of the list on that one um so but you can learn a lot just from doing some of those like grunt jobs where you're you know running around helping out and that's how you build a network too it's like working some of the jobs you don't necessarily want to make a career out of but it's a way to get on set and meet other people and make connections that way and that's just kind of something that everyone sort of has to go to, there's no real cheat code. That is the cheat code is doing the jobs people don't want to do. So then they appreciate it. So you can build that, you know, social currency and build those favors. Like, Hey, I'm shooting this project. And if you do a good job, people recognize good work, you know, and you don't always have to go in there and like, always, I don't know, like the best thing anyone can do is be on set and just listen and be aware like, you don't need to try to squeeze in that one liner in front of the director so that way he'll think you're cool. You can just kind of like, just let it be natural. Like, if you don't know much or you're inexperienced, that's fine. Like, people are generally happy to take you under their wing and like, kind of like show you the ropes and stuff like that. So, just kind of like get on there, get busy for people who want this. Oh, it'll be, it's, I, I will say, and I mean this with love and sincerity this is probably the worst business to be in in the world like it is <laughs> the least so on jerk. the front end like 90% of people don't make it so like you really have to love this in order to make the sacrifice and understand that like it may never be a career it could be what i call a hobby it's like a job hobby it's you wish it was your job but it ends up being your hobby and you know it's like that for a long time for a lot of people like I mean, I think it takes like about five years to be good at your craft and then probably another five years to really showcase that to the right people to build the momentum to have a career. So like minimum, it's probably going to be like 10 years before anyone who's in this will be able to support themselves in a way where they're making like movies and stuff. Of course, you could take like the YouTube or social media route and then just, post a bunch of content online and you could do that within a year uh if you're really really good at it uh and you put in the time but in terms of like shorts and movies or like features and stuff like that the type of content i think us and all the viewers appreciate and would like to make you know you're looking at uh, long term and there's not usually a big break. There's just a bunch of little smaller, smaller, smaller breaks like that you don't notice necessarily at the time. But then like years down the line, you look back and you're like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm where I wanted to be. This is crazy. Or at least like, oh, shit, now it's starting to pay. I can pay rent now with, you know, the the things that I built. So, yeah.
0: Is there anybody in the uh, like in the future you you hope one day to work with, or any particular directors, or across from anybody?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I interned at Ghost House and I got to meet Sam Raimi, he's a super cool dude. Um, nice. I would definitely like to work with him at some point. I think he's definitely more on the producer side now. I, I can't remember the last thing he. I think maybe he directed one episode of The Evil Dead. Series, but I think he he mostly was on the producer side of that. Um, Let's see, I like Christopher Nolan. It'd be nice to um, work with him at some point. Um, I love all of Jason Bateman's work. I feel like he's a nice spirit animal, so I would like to work with him on pretty much anything he does. Like, I like the Arrested Development and then Ozark. I think the Ozarks, that's probably. One of my favorite shows of all time. Did you ever? Have, uh,
0: did you ever get a chance to watch The Outsider on HBO?
1: Oh, oh yeah. Was that with the the evil the creature that maybe- the
0: shape shifting? Yeah, yeah, creature. Okay. Yes, uh, because yeah, the, because yeah. be, because Jason Bateman like was like full on you know director hmm. you know in charge of yeah. Ozark, like, he was a big uh, force behind that production. Hmm. But where he kind of kicked off doing directing and everything was on The Outsider. And oh, so oh. he's in those first two episodes yeah. and it, like the first two episodes, he does some flashback stuff, but those first two episodes were Jason Bateman and he is phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's like, like okay, I has got to play this character for two, for two roles. The arc he gives him in two
2: <laughs> episodes. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah yeah yeah
1: that was definitely one of the better series like and it was so so good it was like oh no this guy couldn't be like you're left guessing with like maybe he is a you know maybe he did do it so that that was definitely- like this is
0: this is like the dude who's arrested development you know, we remember him yeah. for of Development. It's like and uh-huh. like to to, yeah, to And I love him in comedy. Like comedy, mm-hmm. he's brilliant. But dude, yeah. to, to to traverse to the depth of both mm-hmm. horror and drama, and like yeah. you know that he can that he can portray him and Laura Linney across. Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Like another one is uh am up there with you. Like Christopher Nolan is fantastic. Like Guillermo mm-hmm. del Toro. Oh, I yeah. you know I would love to did that imagination.
2: You mm-hmm. know I would
0: love to be just to sit in awe of that, of, of that and see him work, but uh, to work for him to like give the opportunity would be is one of my big inspirations, you know, it's yeah. like that and John Carpenter. He's got yeah, a huge John Carpenter fan, uh, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah, it'd be fun. Um, let's see. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, uh, Oh yeah. Eric Kripke. I mean, it'd be cool to work on, they're doing the supernatural prequel. It'd be cool to work on that. I used to, I, I watched a ton of the supernatural series. So, oh, yeah. I
0: I I feel bu- I feel kind of bummed to tell you because they didn't renew it for second season. Oh no!
1: Oh
2: damn! Oh, wow.
0: and uh, they were trying to they were trying to like sell it to either Amazon or Netflix, and neither oh. one of them picked it up, unfortunately. Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, uh, and know. I was
0: bombed when I heard about that. Yeah, they, yeah, just, yeah. they were going to take that mythology, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. they didn't pick that up. And yeah. you know, you know uh, Jared is off doing a Walker Texas Ranger Walker. right now. So yeah, yeah.
2: So
1: oh well, who knows? Maybe after the strike, they'll be like, "Fuck it, we're 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 trying to, we'll take it. We want everything now, and
0: we'll take yeah anything that can come easy. along the lines. Yeah, yeah definitely." Well, man, yeah. this this has been amazing, looking like, like a trip down memory lane, and mm-hmm. like you know, getting into the industry. And uh, I know that a lot of uh, the burgeoning filmmakers and burgeoning actors mm-hmm. that listen to the show will have a lot to take away from what you, mm-hmm. from what you brought up. Um, before before we close out, we got to know it's like as far as like horror movies go, do you mm-hmm. have a favorite horror icon? We got to ask this of everybody. Is like, do you have a favorite one that you just love?
1: You know, I think you can tell um... who mine is. I think yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I think um you know I've always been so I guess I'll give two answers so when I was a kid I saw Child's Play like just like five minutes of that when I was like four or five years old and I was fucking scared that Chucky was gonna come kill me um <laughs> but I also I really like the original Hellraiser like Pinhead I think he's such an iconic character uh, so I, I think it would be between uh, Chucky and Pinhead. Um, nice. Those would be my, my two, I, I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those two.
0: So. Brad, Dourif, Brad Dourif and uh, and uh, Doug Bradley. Yeah. Cause mm. those two, I mean, what yeah. they brought to it, you know, especially, you know, Bradley under Barker's direction mm. and, you know, Brad Dourif, just legendary. Yeah. I've loved, you know, loved mm. him for forever. So this has been absolutely amazing. Well, I want to appreciate you coming out Russell. I've had you here for about an hour and a half mm-hmm. and we we kind of run over but this is great. You know, and this the the stories that help to make up this industry um, mm-hmm. are always a blast to hear and everybody's you know, everybody has a different experience. Mm-hmm. And for those who are trying to break into this, it's always important to hear those to hear like those mm-hmm. how how it's affected us and uh, mm-hmm. how we how we, how it drives pretty much everything we do. So I appreciate yeah. everything you Everything we had here, this is absolutely amazing. So thank you, Russell, for taking the time. This has been great.
1: I appreciate it. I'm happy to come back anytime. And just for anyone out there, last, I guess, if I can leave anyone with anything, just make shit and put it out there as soon as you can. Get it in some festivals. Don't be afraid of being bad and making mistakes. In fact, if people can see you go from bad to great, it's going to give you more of a following and a story because it's like... Uh, You know, it's just like any movie you make, except for people get to watch it in real life. So I would say don't get discouraged. You know, don't worry about being great today. Just work on doing a little bit every day to become successful, you know, down the line. We'll say tomorrow. Don't worry about being good today. Just do what it takes to be better tomorrow. There we go. That's a TikTok right there. (laughs) Cool. All right. Like, don't like.
0: Don't don't be, Don't be the next great someone else. Be the first great you.
1: Yeah. There we go. I there
0: you go. go. Awesome. Well, this has been Week in Horror Front Row. I've been here with Russell Coker uh, talking about the industry and all kinds of great stuff related to the horror genre. And I hope that you enjoyed it out there. So if you're listening to this, wherever you listen to podcasts, definitely check us out. We do this every single month where we sit down with industry professionals to talk about the genre that we love so much. That is the horror genre, the greatest genre that ever was. So once again, a huge thank you to my guest, Russell uh, Russell, uh, Coker. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir.
1: Thanks for having me. And I'm happy to come back anytime.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I have been JL, this has been Front Row, and we will see you all next month.